Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. I saw an article in Forbes magazine uh, that talked about the salary of a mother, and they took into account taxi drivers and computer data entry and cooks and personal chefs and and moms, you deserve to be bringing in somewhere north of $112,000 a year. Uh, so praise God for you. Some of you are saying, that, that frustrates me. Uh, but we thank you and we honor you for the incredible roles that you, that you play. Um, so we are in a series of messages entitled The Games of Life. And I've been looking forward to this Mother's Day because uh, the Lord had put a message in my heart for, for moms. And so today this is for you, uh, mom, and for anyone really that's here within the sound of my voice, but especially for you on this Mother's Day. Uh, we've taken a look at some different games, games that we grew up playing as children. And as we take a look deeper at those games and then we dive into God's word, we can see some amazing connections that make the games a bit more memorable and uh, allow us to remember God's truth in a new and creative way. And so I pray that you've been enjoying this series of messages. This is the second to last uh, game that we're going to be taking a look at. Next week is our final week in the series, and so you don't want to miss that. Uh, we believe God has something special in store. But whenever I look at the game we're going to talk about this morning, it's a game that is probably the youngest uh, age limit to play it. I looked in the directions. You could be three years old and play this game. And uh, perhaps I was three years old when I first played it, but this should be a game that everyone uh, knows how to play. It's not too complicated, uh, but it's a lot of fun, and it's really going to help us illustrate what we're going to talk about this morning. The game is Shoots and Ladders. Did everyone know the game of Shoots and Ladders? You follow me? What I did is I blew this up here so that, uh, that you could see the game board. And so the game of Shoots and Ladders, it has boxes from 1 to 100, and the goal of it is to get from 1 to 100. The first person there wins. And what you do is you spin a little spinner, and it has a number that is associated it'll, it'll land on. Whenever you get that number, you go to that space. Here's the catch. Sometimes you'll land somewhere, like if you roll a 4, you land right here on space 4, and you hit a ladder, and it brings you up to 14. Or if you land on 28 at the end of your spin, then guess what? You get to go up to 84. So that's pretty exciting. You're going leaps and bounds in great directions. But if you seem to head over to 87 and land there, then you go on a shoot and you go all the way down the slide down to 24. And you can see this little baby, uh, this little kid crying. And, uh, and so this is the game of ups and downs as you're trying to find your way to the finish line. Now, this is a game that some of you have not played in a very long time, but it's very similar to the life that you're living. It's a game full of ups and downs, shoots and ladders. And I want to tell you, this so closely resembles the life that we live, and it so closely resembles the life of faith if we're following Christ and we have new life in him. You see, life is full of mountaintops and valleys. It is full of shoots and ladders. There are experiences that you will have in your life that bring you to another level, right? There are things that are exciting, that you celebrate, that you sense uh, incredible blessing or even favor in your life. And then there are valleys, times where you take a few steps forward and before you know it, you've fallen farther and you don't know if you're ever going to stand up again. Um, it's the game of ups and downs and life can be very much like that. Why well, think about this on Mother's Day? Because when you become a mother, the game of shoots and ladders takes on a whole different form. Because not only are you going through the ups and the downs of life, you are also 
because there is a life that you have brought into this world. Whenever they go through the ups, you're going through the ups. And when they go through the downs, so are you, right? When they're in the mountaintop experiences and God is blessing their lives, you as mom could not be happier. Come on, moms. And whenever they go through the valleys, your heart is heavy, right, mom? And so your life now becomes connected to them. And each of you that are moms that have these children in your life, if they're going through those times of incredible blessing, incredible favor, they're reaching out new heights from glory to glory, new accomplishments, you couldn't be prouder. But some of you, you have children that have been in the valley for a long time. You have some that have run away from God. You have some that are involved in self-destructive habits. And although life for you could be going okay, when you look over and you see them in that place, it's like your heart goes from here to here. And you find yourself in the valley as well. Whenever we look at this idea of shoots and ladders, of mountains and valleys, we see scripture shows this and reflects this over and over again. One of the places that it points out uh, this reality very clearly is found in the book of 1 Kings. And I'm going to encourage you to write this down if you have notes that you're taking today. I want you to take some time this week to read in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 and then read into, verse, into chapter 19. So 1 Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19. We're not going to have time to read through this this morning, but I'm going to reference this and give you a very abbreviated version of what's happening here. We see that there's a prophet. His name is Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet that is used powerfully by the Lord. And as God meets him and as God uses him uh, for the miraculous and for the supernatural, it brings him through these very places. It brings him to new heights. In fact, one of the mountaintop experiences literally happened on a mountain, on Mount Carmel. Elijah's there. He's having a face-off, a, a, a huge, huge battle against 5,000 of the prophets of Baal. These are looking to worship another god, a false god. And he makes a wager with them. And he said, look, we're going to go up to this mountain. We're going to prepare sacrifices. We're going to call upon our gods. And the god that answers with fire, he is the true god that we will worship. And the people said, that sounds good to us. So on that day, 5,000 show up, and it's him. And as they cry out, and as they cut themselves, and as they long to see and ask for Baal to move and to do something, nothing happens. Gets to the point where Elijah starts making fun. He says, maybe your, your God has gone to the bathroom and he can't hear you. Maybe you need to shout a little bit louder. I, I don't know. And, and he's just egging them on. Well, now it's his turn. And not only does he have these odds that are stacked against him. So many more people crying out to this false god than this one man. But he actually has them saturate the offering with water. And as they do that, he then bows and he calls upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord shows up and he lights it up. Fire falls from heaven and it consumes the whole offering. And as that happens, the people see once and for all, this is the true God. God is on display. Could you imagine being in that place to see God so clearly show up and show off inside of your life. That's like a mountaintop experience. Some of you have been there. You have places in your life that you could remember that God showed up, that God met you in a special way. Are you out there today? Is that you? You've been there. 
a moment in your life, would you think back with me? Where's that burning bush experience for you? Where's that moment that God showed up where he provided for you at a time where you never, ever knew? A moment where you stood there and you could have explained it every other way, but there was no other explanation than God, the God of heaven, heard your prayer and answered it. That's a God that's faithful. And whenever we experience his faithfulness in those kind of ways, it brings us to incredible places. It's like a mountaintop experience in our faith and in our walk with him. And so Elijah's in that place. But you don't need to look any further than the very next chapter because Elijah goes from that mountain to a very deep valley. Because by the time you get into chapter 19, Elijah's prayer is this, Lord, I wish that you would just take my life. So you want to talk about shoots and ladders him being up at a mountaintop experience, seeing God's power and his glory to being in a very low place, a place of despair, a place where he did not even want to live anymore. There's some of you today, you've been through the mountains and you've been through the valleys. There's some of you today, you're stuck in a valley. You're stuck in a, in a hopeless place. You're stuck in a place of despair and you don't know if anything will ever turn up right again. You don't know how anything can be made right inside of the wrong situation that you have found yourself in. And today my prayer is this, that we can look to God's word and that we could find hope in the valley. My prayer today is that if you are in a place where you feel like you are low, that you do not know uh, what to do or where to turn, that God would meet you in a special way. Because I know this, that if we look to God today, if we turn to him, that we serve a God in Jesus who there is no pit that is too deep for his love. There is no valley that is too far for his grace to lift you up today and bring you to another place. And so today we're going to look to him and we're going to look to God's word and we're going to see a story of a mom, a mom who goes through a very difficult trial that in fact the valley she finds herself in seems like such a hopeless valley she doesn't think she'll ever get out of it. And the pain that it's about to cause her is immense, unthinkable, and only moms might be able to relate to what this mother has to go through and the choice she has to make. So would you turn with me in your Bible to 2 Kings, flip to, if you had already opened up to 1 Kings, flip to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. And as you're turning there this morning, I'm going to pray for us. Oh Lord, would you come today, Jesus, and meet us as we've turned our focus to your word. We ask that this word would be alive and it would be active, that it would speak to us and meet us right where we're at. Lord God, just as the word is open before many of us today on our lap, Lord, would our hearts be open before you and would our hearts be open before your word? And Lord, would that word go in deep? Would it penetrate soul and spirit? Lord God, would it judge the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart? And Holy Spirit, would you come and would you bring transformation where needed? Would you bring freedom where freedom is needed, Lord God? Lord, we give you the ability, Lord, when we think about opening our heart, Lord God, that's the control center of our entire life. Lord, we just open our hearts to you today. And in doing so, we say, Lord, come and have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we come to this passage of Scripture, and we find here that there's a woman, a certain woman, the Bible says, that finds herself in a desperate situation, in a true valley of life. It says this, that there is now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets who cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. Let's stop right there in the first half of verse 1. Now let's just break this down and understand who we're talking about. It says there's a certain woman. 
She's a wife of one of the sons of the prophets. Now the sons of the prophets were almost like a primitive Bible school. They were those that would come and follow the prophets. They would be those that are in training underneath a prophet. And a prophet is someone who is meant to be a spokesperson for the Lord. They meant, they're meant to represent the Lord and speak for the Lord. So the Lord would give them visions and he would give them uh, words that they are meant to share, to prophesy, to speak out among the people, normally to correct them and to turn them to the right path that the Lord would have for them. Often the prophets would come and help direct the hearts of the people away from all the wrong things and back to a right relationship with God. And so the prophets came like Elijah. He was a powerful prophet that the Lord used in great and mighty ways. He had his mountains and he had his valleys. But if you continue to read, even as you continue on after 18 and 19, you'll see that as Elijah is heading on his way one day, he walks by Elisha. Just a few letter difference, but it's a whole different prophet, trust me. And as he walks by him, he throws his mantle upon him. When he throws his mantle upon him, that's the sig signifying a calling for Elisha to now come and follow Elijah. And that he would now follow in his footsteps and become a prophet like him. And you see, and that's another message for another day, how Elisha, upon that calling, he burned his plows and he left. He left everything behind, no turning back. He went all in to follow the Lord in that moment. You see, because it wasn't just that a guy named Elijah called upon him. He saw that that man represented God, that the Lord himself was calling him. And when God calls, you answer, right? And so the Lord was calling Elisha, and Elisha began to follow him. Now, Elisha's ministry is marked with miracles and power, just like Elijah's before him. And so as Elisha is going around, he has the sons of the prophets, those that have followed him, those that are now being trained up by him to go out. And one of those men was married to this woman, and that man has died. Your servant, my husband, is dead. This woman has become a widow. And in that, she hasn't just lost the love of her life. She hasn't just lost the one who is the father to her children. She lost the one who could provide. She lost the one who could lead and guide that family. She lost so much in that moment. Look what it says in verse 2. She's in a desperate place. I'm sorry, in the rest of verse 1. It says, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come. And he's going to take my two children to be his slaves. So what's happened here is that creditors have come up to this woman. She has a lot of things going on. She is mourning a death. She is wallowing in despair over that death. And she now has a debt that she cannot pay. So she is battling with debt. She's battling with all the grief of death and separation. She's in a completely hopeless situation and now the creditors are knocking on her door and they are acting very severely with her. If you look back into the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, you'll see that part of a way of repaying a debt that you were unable to pay is that you would become a bondservant. You'd become a slave in a household. You'd work for seven years and after that the debt could be forgiven because it had been repaid. And so as the creditor comes to this woman who has just lost her husband, he says, there's a debt that's been owed and you need to pay that debt now. So I don't have enough to pay the debt. Well, then I'm going to take your two children into slavery. Could you imagine the grief that a mother would have to feel to be faced with, with those options in front of her? 
She has nothing to pay it, no one to help her with it. And now her children are going to be lost because of this hopeless situation that she finds herself in. I'm speaking to some moms today that you know what this kind of thing feels like because you find yourself in a, in a seemingly hopeless situation and you don't know where to turn. Every option seems like a bad one. And so this woman, she's coming to a point in time where she's faced with this difficult, trying situation. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in a place where you just don't know what to do, where you're walking through life and it feels like shoots and ladders and you have found yourself down in a pit, down in a valley, and you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're facing problems with your children that you cannot solve? What do you do when your marriage is on the rocks and the waves are crashing against it and hopelessness is unrelenting? What do you do when there are problems at work and it seems like there's no way out of them? What do you do when there's too much month left and not enough money left, right? What do you do when you have followed one of your loved one's body to the graveyard and you can't escape the loneliness, the grief, and the pain? What do you do when your heart is broken and your dreams are shattered and your hopes have been dashed into bits on the rocks of reality? What do you do when you're walking through a spiritual valley and it seems that there is no way out. I believe that God and God alone has the answers to the question of what you do then. What do we do when we find ourselves in the valley? Now, I've heard it said, and I believe it, that you were either coming out of a valley or a storm, going into a storm or in the midst of a storm. So replace storm with valley, and I believe that's it. You're either in a valley, coming into a valley, coming out of a valley. Jesus made some promises in Scripture to us. And there are certain promises that we love. We love to celebrate. One of them that I love is that he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come receive you to myself so that where I am, you will be also. That's the hope of eternity with him. That's the hope that after I pass on from this life, that I would be with him forever. Aren't you thankful for some of those promises? But there's another promise that he made. And here's this promise, not one that I see anyone raising up a banner about, that in this world you will have trouble. He didn't say you might have trouble. He said you will have trouble. If you follow me, in this world you will have trouble. In this world there will be valleys. And just because we're following Jesus, it doesn't make us exempt from the valleys. And so we need to know what to do when we come into the valley, when we come in, find ourselves in this place. How do we continue on? And there are four questions as we look at this passage of Scripture that I want you to ask yourself when you're in the valley and if you're in the valley today. There are four questions that, that could remind you of God's faithfulness when you walk through these kinds of seasons or find yourself there. We're going to look at the first question, and it comes up just in the first verse that we read. The question is this, who will you look to in the valley? Who will you look to? The question you must ask yourself, who am I going to look to right now? Because something happens when you find yourself in those kinds of places. You become desperate. And desperate people can begin to do things that you never thought you would do before. You can look at someone that's desperate and what they will do goes above and beyond what you ever thought possible. Sometimes in a good way, but other times in a negative way. That when you become desperate enough, you might find yourself compromising in areas that you never thought you would compromise because you're just that desperate. 
Whenever you're desperate, you could find yourselves doing things that you will later regret. Why? Because you're that desperate. There seems to be no other option than what you see right in front of you. This woman, this widow, this mother, she comes into a desperate situation. She looks, and the creditors are standing in front of her. Her debts are piled up around her. And here's the option. You're going to have to give your children away into slavery. When you become desperate, you could do something that you would quickly regret. For some, that's all they, they would never be able to see past that. You would never, that would be the only option. You, I can't pay it. I can't work enough. There's nothing else I could do. But for this woman, she came to Elisha. Do you know why she came to Elisha? The prophet represents the Lord. She came saying, maybe there is another way. Maybe there is hope beyond what I'm going through right now. And she looked to the Lord when she looked to this prophet because he represented the Lord. So there she is standing and she's saying, my husband feared the Lord. He loved the Lord. I have creditors that are coming. They're going to take my kids into slavery. You could say, she just sounds like a desperate woman. She just sounds like she's crying out. Who is she crying out to? She's not giving a sob story to creditors. She's crying out to the man who's there to represent the Lord. So she's crying out to the Lord for help. Who are you going to look to when you go through the valley? Because it, it, it can go one of two directions. People that are desperate can make decisions that they will later regret or they can cling to those and look for those that they believe can help. And for her, she's looking for someone that will help. She's looking to one that can help bring her out of this situation. For many times, whenever you go into a desperate situation, when you find yourself in the valley, your first instinct will be to retreat, to not talk about it at all, to bury your head in the sand, to allow yourself to succumb to depression and isolation. And before long, there you are wallowing in despair, not sure what to do. You find yourself overstepping in areas that you shouldn't. You find yourself compromising your life in areas that you won't. And, and you just, you forget about the Lord. Sometimes you become angry at him. You say, I've been honoring you. I feared the Lord. You hear what this woman said about her husband. She said, he feared the Lord. He honored God. He had followed him and it led him to the grave. Some of you have said, Lord, I've been following you. And every step I followed you, you now led me to a valley. And I want you to know something today. His goal, if he has been leading your life and you are now in a valley, his goal was not to lead you to a valley. It was to lead you through a valley. It was never to lead you to a valley to leave you in a valley. He's not a God that will ever leave you or forsake you. But some of you, you just believe God has pulled one over on you, that he's led you to a valley. He's never leading you to a valley. He's always leading you through a valley. And if he's leading you through it, there's a purpose in the valley. There's something he will do in the valley. He will forge in the valley. Something he will do inside of you that you'll be better on the other side of it if you're walking with him. But some of you, you just believe he's led you to the valley to leave you in the valley. And therefore, you stop looking to him. You have to ask yourself that question. Who will I look to? Are you looking to everyone else? You say, where will I look? Where does my help come from? Remember God's word that your help comes from the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who has the power to crumble mountains and to lift valleys up to flat ground. That's where your help comes from. Remember who you're looking to. So ask, so who, who will I look to in the valley? This woman, she looks to the Lord in her desperation. And as she's looking, the prophet Elisha speaks to her. And here's what he says. He says, what shall I do for you? Tell me. 
what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing except a jar of oil. I love this question that he asks because it's a question if you just read scripture you see that the Lord in one way or another is asking this similar question over and over and over again to people that choose to follow him. And here's the question. What do you got in your hand? What do you got in your house? What do you have right now? He asks her this question. What do you have in the house? Now, if you go back through scripture, you'll see a time where Moses is standing there and he's standing with an impossible task in front of him to bring freedom to a, to a whole nation of people that are held in slavery in Egypt. And he's coming to the Lord and he's giving him all these reasons why he's not qualified to do, why he's unable to do it. Many times when you're in the valley, all you could see is all the reasons why it will never work and you could never see hope. And you come to the Lord and what he asks over and over again is what's in your hand? He asks Moses, what's in your hand? Just this rod. It's going to be by that rod that miracles begin to happen. It's going to be by that rod that there will be a freedom that comes to these people. You see a young boy who's there, and he's standing there among the disciples and among 5,000 people sitting on a hillside. And all the disciples are wondering, how are we going to feed these people? Jesus told us to feed them. And he's saying, this young boy, what's in your hand? What do you got? I don't have anything. I have nothing except five loaves and two fish. And that's what the disciples said. Well, they, we got nothing except this boy with five loaves and two fish. What does this woman say? When he asks the question, what do you have in your house? She says, I, don't have, I have nothing except. Some of you, the Lord will ask you, what do you have right now? What do you have in your hand? And your first word will be nothing. And they will say, except. Whatever's on the other end of that, except. Be careful. The Lord might be asking you to do something with that. So think about what you're walking through. And you could think, for this woman, she's in an amazing debt. And she says, this is all I have of worth. She's a jar of oil. This is some of the oil that we would use to anoint uh, the sick, as the Bible calls us to and tells the elders to anoint with oil and pray for the sick. And so at the end of a service, if you come forward and you have a physical ailment in your body, someone in our altar team will anoint you with oil and pray over you that you would be healed. And so prophets, they would actually carry around oil with them. And that oil would be uh, placed as an anointing over someone. It would be placed on their head. And that would be a sign of God's blessing and God's favor. It would also be a sign of, uh, of God choosing them. And also we see as scripture continues on that oil becomes a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. And so we see oil playing this significant role. And this woman has oil and it very well could be for her cooking and for those things. But it also could play uh, this role of a prophet. And the son of a prophet would have oil as well as he's following Elisha. So this is all she has, nothing except. Whatever it is that you're walking through, whatever challenge or trial that you're going through, you're going to feel like you don't have anything except. But hold on to that, whatever it is, and hold it before the Lord. Because some of you don't ever know what God is about to do with that except with that nothing that you think that you have there. He's ready to work miracles through it. Believe me, time after time, some of you, 
You would say, my marriage is not where it should be. And we say, what do you have right now? You say, I don't have anything. We don't have anywhere to build. All I have is the, the couple hours a day that I sit worrying and getting frustrated and, and going uh, you know, into depression over whatever is going on inside of my, my relationship. All I have are those moments that I sit and I stew and I get angry and, and we get into fights and say, okay, take that time, that, that whatever that little bit of time you have and fall on your knees and pray for your marriage and seek God. Well, no, I don't have time for that. I got this. and I No, 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 no. That little bit that you have, bring it before the Lord. Hold on to it. Hold on to it right there. Honor him with it. This is where it continues on. So you see, what do you have in your hand? You ask the question, who will you turn to? What's in your hand? What do you have? And this is where it all comes together. As Elisha hears what she has, look what he says to her in verse 3. He says, then he said, go and borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels, and do not get just a few. So what he says is, I want you to go around to all your neighbors, and I want you to collect all of their recycling, all of their jars, all of their vessels, everything that can contain something, and don't just get a few. He goes on, he says, then I want you to go in and shut the door behind you and your sons, and I want you to pour out the oil into all these vessels, and then you set aside whatever's full. Now, could you imagine what this woman has to be thinking in this moment? She has this jar of oil. That's the, the nothing that she has. And as she's standing there, she says, this is all that I have. And he says, okay, I want you to go, and I want you to get a bunch of empty jars, a bunch of empty je- vessels, and go, and I want you to knock door to door on all your neighbors' houses and actually ask them to give those to you. Could you imagine this woman that's just lost her husband that has to worry and figure out how she's going to rescue her children from being carried off into slavery, and the prophet has now asked her to go around and collect a bunch of empty jars. You see, if you know the rest of the story, it can make sense, but do you think she knows the rest of the story in that moment? No. This feels counterintuitive. It feels very, very unproductive. So I could go and, and, and have my boys working in the field. You're asking me to go collect other people's trash and bring it into my house. There are going to be times that as you look at what's in your hand, the Lord is going to give a call. He's going to give you a clear instruction as to what you're going to do. And for some of you, you will sense that and know that through prayer, but most of you, do you know where you're going to get that from? From his word. That you will see that his word has given us all that we need through our knowledge of Christ and through his word, instruction, way that we should live our life. And as we look at what we have in our hand and as we see the instruction of the Lord, the answer is going to be, obedience to what God has revealed. And what he's revealed is you're going to go around, you're going to collect all of these jars. This is the point in the story. If you replace the jars with anything else and replace the need with whatever need you're going to, this is where it all breaks down for us. Because quite honestly, I just don't think that we value obedience to God the way that God calls us to. This is where faith starts to really come in. This is where you trust in God that, you know what, this doesn't make any sense. I only have this much oil. I should only get enough jars to pour out this much oil, but you're telling me to get all these other jars and spend all this time gathering them. And in that moment, you have to figure something out. Do I value 
more? Do I care more about my appearance or my obedience to God? Do I care more about the way that I look or whether or not I'm obeying what God has called me to? And in those moments, I think oftentimes we worry more about what people think. What will the neighbors say? What will people think of me? I'll look so foolish. I'll look like I've lost my mind going around collecting empty jars when I only have a little jar of oil. But it's those times that often the step of faith that God's calling you to is one that is improbable, one that is unconventional, one that might even seem downright impossible. But he doesn't ask you to rationalize it. He asks you to obey him no matter what it seems like in the moment. And so this woman has this task in front of her. Am I going to simply obey what God has revealed? Am I going to question or am I going to try it in my own way and strength? She didn't care more about appearance than she did about obedience. And it made all the difference. Verse 5, it says, So she went from him and she shut the door behind her and all her sons. And they brought her all the vessels and she began to pour. Obedience is key in this moment. She's pouring, the Bible says. She's pouring into them. So imagine with me that she has her jar and she has all the vessels that have been given to her and she's pouring the first one. She has a little bit of oil left and she pours the second one. Thought, okay, well, I probably don't have enough for the third, but here it goes. She pours the third one, sets it aside. Hold on, I still have a little bit more left. Okay, hold on, there's the fourth one. Here's the 12th one. Here's the 13th one. Here's the 20th one. Here's the 30th one. She keeps pouring out of one jar of oil. And it keeps on flowing. And look what it says in verse 6. It says, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, piled up vessels, piled up jars of oil. She says, bring me another one. And they said, there is not one vessel more. And then the Bible said, then the oil stopped. Then the oil stopped flowing in that moment. You see, the, the issue was not God's supply, was not God's provision. The only thing that would help that stop the flow was that there wasn't any more to flow into. There was nothing else to be poured into. The capacity was reached, the capacity was there, and it was just enough. There is a, a, a story that is unfolding here of a stretching of capacity that he says, to the extent, I want you to get the most capacity possible for that oil to pour into. And so she went around and she got however many jars and vessels she got. But I want to tell you, if she had gathered 10 more, would there have been more oil? Yes. If she would have gathered 100 more, if she would have went into other communities and villages when she was gathering and brought it in, guess what? On that last one, the oil would have stopped. There is a picture of a stretching that is happening by God's hand. And there are two things that you need to realize in the midst of this. That the first one is, it's the capacity to which there would be a stretched ability to pour into. And so it's a stretching, an increasing of capacity. And the more capacity that was placed before the Lord, the more he was pouring in. And there was also an emptiness that was necessary for that to take place. For many of us, we walk through this life, we carry so many burdens and so many things that we get so full of. There's so much of this world that gets into our lives. And we come to the Lord so full, so overflowing from this world. And you know what? He can't pour into that. But he invites us to come to him empty. Come to him poured out, humbled before him, empty of this world, empty of sin, empty of everything else. And you know what happens when we're empty and when our capacity is being stretched? Every time the Lord will pour in to fill. 
He will fill us. Every single time we serve a God who will fill us, who will meet us in that moment and he will sustain us. What a beautiful picture. And I'm so thankful today that he has poured out, the Bible says, his Holy Spirit and he will fill us and he has filled us. And so as we come to him, that emptiness, that place of obedience and simple obedience means am I honoring him? Am I obeying what his word has shown me? And in the moments where I need to trust him when I find myself in the valley, will I simply obey? Some of you, when you think about a mountain, you have a mountain of debt around you. You have things that are going on, whether through a job loss or through a series of unfortunate things. And right now, you can see that the ends are not meeting. They they may seem miles apart for you. And you would say, you know what? We don't have enough to pay all these things and we're trying to figure it out and we're paying all these things down. And you get to the end of a month or the beginning of a month and you look at all the things that are before you and you look at God's word and you say, what, what, am I, what are we going to do here? We don't have enough to honor God. You don't have enough not to honor God in that moment. You don't have enough not to trust him in that moment. You say, but Lord, I only have this much and this is what everything else calls for. Honor him with the little that you have. Honor him and watch how he stretches. Watch how he, incre- watch how he does it. This isn't about health. This isn't about wealth and prosperity. It is a principle that God stretches and God sustains. You will see, I've heard stories. I don't have any stories for you about speedboats and mansions and cars. And all. I have stories about this, about people that have done that. Groceries show up on their doorstep. Things happen where they have a bill and God just meets the need so beautifully. And they stand there and guess what? There weren't 5,000 prophets and a fire from heaven, but there's a check that shows up and it's down to the dollar for the exact thing. And you say, God, I honored you and I didn't know what was going to happen. And here you are, you're faithful. Here's what you've done. You've shown up and you provided right what I need. That's the God that we serve. We got as a church to a point where you look around Evangel Church and say, wow, a blessed church and all these things that could go along with our reputation and we want to give. We want to give and we want to give. But there was a time that we had maybe $11,000. Someone help me over here. $7,000 in the bank. And our bills were much more than that. It was like less than two weeks worth of what we needed. And the leaders of the church got together and said, what are we going to do? We have missionary commitments. We have missionaries that all over the world that are relying on us. They said, we're going to pay and we're going to support the missionaries. We're going to continue to give to them. And you know what happened? The Lord stretched any honor. We say, well, what about the cable? What about, and we say, we're going to honor God. We're going to keep honoring God. We're not going to take our eyes off that. And the Lord blessed and he grew and he multiplied. And guess what? He sustains us every single time. We're still here. 20 some years later, we're still here because of God's grace and his provision. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then what he'll do is he'll pour again and then he'll have you trust him again. And we keep trusting him over and over and keep seeing his hand of faithfulness and provision. Honor him with whatever it is. Whatever it is, it it might be that in finance. It might be that in your marriage. It might be in relationship. It might be in whatever area. What's in your hand? Honor and obey him with it. And let him stretch and let him fill in and let him do the rest and let him complete exactly what he'll start. And so this is what happened. This woman, it flowed and God God met them. He showed up. He showed off. He did it all. And this is what brings us to this fourth question. So, so, so important. It's one that we miss. I want to say that we get this idea, and it's a, it's a new phrase that I just thought of that, that might stand with you, and I hope it sticks with you. People get what I'm going to call blessing blindness. Blessing blindness. This is what blessing blindness is, is that you go through the valley 
You're in a desperate situation. You cry out to the Lord. The Lord shows up. The Lord shows off. The Lord lifts you out of it. And guess what happens? You forget about the Lord. You forget the one who saved you. And before long, you have been lifted out. You are in the mountaintop experience. And it even gets so bad for some of you that you tell the story as if you're the hero. You say, you know what, man, I was going through this thing and I was doing that and I was doing this and, and I prayed and I prayed such a powerful prayer of faith and I trusted him so good and I said all the right things and now look at me. Now look at what has happened. And I want you to be careful if you've been following the Lord for some time because it's dangerous when you become the hero of your story when God's really the one who deserves the glory. And so the question is, will you give God the glory in the end? Will you keep giving God the glory because at times, whenever you become the, the champion of your story, you're missing it. You can say, but I had the faith. No, your faith is nothing without his faithfulness. Because we can have faith in Buddha. I can have all the same faith in Muhammad. I can have faith in this pew in front of me. But it won't have the power to change anything. It's having faith in his faithfulness. That's what we're trusting in today. It's not our ability to just trust it. Things are going to work out good enough. It's us placing our trust in a God that is so faithful, who is so able and saying, I trust him. I know that he can meet me here. And so it's our trust in him. And so when it happens, we don't pat ourselves on the back and we don't pat man on the back. We just give God the glory. We say, you have done great things, Lord. This is what you have done. Never forget it. Never forget his faithfulness. In the Bible, and I, I just prayed this with someone at the altar last week. They were going through a valley. And as I was talking with them, the Lord just put it on my heart to share with them. I said, you know what? Do you ever journal your prayers? And this person, I, I thought that they might. And they said, yes, I do. I said, go back in your prayer journal. And I want you to look for a moment when God met you, because I know that he's met you. I know that he's touched your life and your family. Go back to that moment and I want you to remember his faithfulness and remember just how good he is and remember just how much you saw it because right now maybe you can't see it in the valley. Maybe it's too dark and you're wondering where he's going to be and how he's going to sustain you. Go back to that moment. In the Old Testament, you'd see as they went along and God showed up, they would build an altar to the Lord with stones. You say, what's that all about? It was a place that every time they would pass by, they would remember, this is where God showed up. Amen. This is where God has been faithful. This is where God met us. This is where God changed everything. In your life, there are going to be those places that you can go back to and you could remember his faithfulness when he lifted you out of the valley and set you in a brand new place. And it's going to be there when you remember his faithfulness in the valley that you're reminded of the first question. Who do I look to? I look to the God who's faithful, the God who met me. Right then, I was here. I was in a deeper valley than this and he rescued me. And then what happens? You say, all right, then what's in my hand? I'm going to obey him. Praise God. He met me. He stretched me. He fulfilled. Give him the glory. Remember his faithfulness in the valley. Do you see how the cycle of faith works? This is what happens because life will continue to be full of shoots and ladders, ups and downs. And when you're in the down times, you are trusting him. You are looking to him. You are obeying him. And as he brings you out of that, you're giving him the glory and you're remembering him and you're honoring him and you're obeying him. And he'll lead you every step of the way. Amen. Man, we serve such a good God, such a God that is so faithful. And this morning, as we get ready to close out our time, I want to bring you to this final verse where this woman, this widow, this is exactly what she does. It says, she came and she told the man of God, and he said, go and sell all the oil and pay off your debts. And you and your sons, they can live off the rest. So it was enough, not just to pay the debt, but to now sustain them. 
We serve a God who has given us everything we need and enough to sustain us through this life if we'll continue to keep our eyes on him. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? And I'm going to read to you. I'm going to read over you today just a portion of God's word. This is what I want you to look to, even in the valley or in the mountain, wherever you are. It's Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is such a beautiful psalm, but think about all that we've talked about today in God's word. And watch how Psalm 23 is just such a perfect encapsulation and picture of what we're talking about. Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Be reminded of the mountains. Be reminded of the valleys. Be reminded of the shoots. Be reminded of the ladders. Be reminded that as you walk with him, he will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He will lead you in the greenest pastures, in the places of blessing and abundance and provision. He'll restore you beside quiet waters. But there will be valleys and he won't just lead you to them. His word promises, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid because you're with me. He's with you in the valley today. In his rod and his staff, they comfort you, they lead you, and they protect you. And today, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to feel hopeless anymore. Lift your eyes to the good shepherd who sees you, who's right there by you. For some of you, I don't know the state of your heart and of your life. Some of you, you might be here today, you're doing it as a gift to a loved one. And today, you're here because they ask you to be here but you haven't really thought about the Lord since last Mother's Day or since Easter or whenever the last time you were here. Today, maybe you're in that valley. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you haven't sensed peace or hope in a long time. I want you to know that you need to lift your eyes to Jesus. He said this. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so when I ask you, who are you looking to today? Look to Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when I, everything I've talked about, it is not a formula for any person in the world that just has a trial to just look to God. The Bible says clearly that you have to look to Jesus. He is the way. This is the promise for any child of God. And that means anyone that has a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about relationship. And today you need to know that you know that you know that you're in that relationship with Jesus. If you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, if you've never asked him to be Lord of your life, then today is the day for you to take that step. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to begin a brand new relationship with God. For your sins to be forgiven, for your past to be taken away and separated from you. 
and for you to have a brand new life. But it begins with looking to Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, today, if today's the day that you're ready to say yes to Jesus, that you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've run far from God and today's the day you're coming home. Right now, if you hear my voice and you know that that's you, I'm going to pray with you, but I need to know that you're there. So right now, right where you're sitting, would you lift your hand right above your head so I could pray for you? If that's you and you say, today's the day, I pastor, I want to pray that prayer. Lift your hand right where you're at. No one's looking around. Right now, a moment between you and the Lord. If that's you, lift your hand up. I see a hand in the balcony. I see a hand over here on the main floor. Is there anyone else? Amen. Praise God. I see your hand up right now. Anyone else? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of a brand new beginning. Today's the day of a brand new life change. Is there anyone else? I don't want to let this moment pass by. Today's the day for you to look to Jesus and put him first in your life. Amen. Their hands up around the room. Praise the Lord. Praise God that his promise that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It only happens when we come to Jesus. And so we're going to pray in just a moment. And as we pray, I want you to say these words from the bottom of your heart. It's about the power behind these words, not the power of these words. It's about you saying it from the depths of your heart and accepting Jesus, acknowledging your sin and turning away from it. We can all say this as an act of recommitment to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. They've separated me from you. But I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. I turn from my sin and I follow you all the days of my life, forever, through every mountain and every valley. I hold on to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate together? Here's what I... Here's what I want you to do. I want those of you that have made that commitment today, I want to take one more step with you, and I want you to take that step. Pastor Ron's right over here. Would you wave at us, Pastor Ron? He's our pastor of care ministries. We have a room. It's a prayer room, and we have a few people that would love to connect with you. We'd love to give you a Bible, talk with you for a few moments, and pray with you. Please, uh, right where you're at, I saw a couple hands here up in the balcony, right over here. Even at this time, we're all going to stand. When we all stand, would you step out of your seat? One of the ushers will help bring you over. And we're just going to connect with you for just a few moments, uh, right as our service concludes and as we're singing a final song. We just want to pray with you and celebrate the commitment you've made before the Lord. So let's all stand together and let's celebrate what God's done in their lives one more time. And I'm going to pray over you. And then as I do that... I'm going to invite our altar workers. Would you come, altar workers, as I'm praying and just line across the front. Moms, we'd love to pray for you. Anyone that has a need, we'd love to pray over you. And, uh, and we're just going to trust the Lord to allow all that we've talked about in his word to just be applied to our lives today. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And we thank you so much for your love. Lord, we thank you this Mother's Day, Lord, that you give us hope, Lord God, in every valley that we walk through. Lord, I pray that you'd meet each one here, Lord, I pray each mom would feel that special blessing, but that every person and every heart that has come here, Lord God, whether heavy or rejoicing, would leave knowing that you are a faithful God that meets us and sustains us through every season. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great and happy Mother's Day. We're going to have a time of worship up front and uh, some prayer if you need it. If not, have a great and blessed day, and we'll see you next week.